1: Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Jennifer Ryan, standing in for our host, Cathy Sheridan, today. Just a quick reminder that we are partnering with the Body and Soul Festival, taking place June 22nd to 24th. The Irish Times is taking over the Woodland stage on Saturday afternoon and we'll be recording a post-referendum The People Have Spoken episode of the Women's Podcast, so do be sure to stop by if you're there. Now, Meg Wolitzer is the New York Times bestselling author of several acclaimed novels, including The Interestings, The Uncoupling and The Wife. One of her first books, This Is Your Life, was made into a film and became the directorial debut of the late, great Nora Ephron. The Female Persuasion is Wolitzer's 12th novel, and it tells the story of the college student Greer Kadetsky, in the context of her relationship with a famous older feminist called Faith Frank. Early in the book, Greer has a Me Too moment in the shape of an unpleasant encounter with a man at a party. This, as well as many other themes around feminism and female identity, make the female persuasion feel very timely, even though Wallitzer says she didn't really mean it to be that way. I spoke to her recently about the book, which is being made into a film by and starring Nicole Kidman. We also talked about feminism, the tensions between older and younger feminists, and how movements like Me Too and Time's Up are dealing with age-old issues just in a different way. But first, I asked Wallitzer to explain why she decided to explore the idea of women as mentors to each other in her latest book. Meg, you're going to read an extract from your new book, The Female Persuasion, in a moment. But uh, one of the key themes you explore in it is this idea of mentorship between women from different generations. I'm interested to know why that is something that you were interested in as a writer.
0: I'm somebody who received the generosity of a number of older women when I was young, and I have never forgotten it. It really meant a lot to me professionally and personally. Um <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, As a writer, when I was younger, there were older writers who really sort of seemed to take an interest in what I was writing. And that meant everything to me. And I think one thing that can happen is that when someone takes you seriously, it sometimes gives you um, a reason to take yourself seriously, too. And you might not have done so before.
1: And at the very start of the book, we meet Greer Kadetsky and she's a young first year college student or a freshman, as you say, in the US. And in the very first sentence, she encounters the older, wiser Faith Frank. So let's hear about that in your extract now. Greer Kadetsky met
0: Faith Frank in October of 2006 at Ryland College, where Faith had come to deliver the Edmund and Wilhelmina Ryland Memorial Lecture. And though that night the chapel was full of students, some of them boiling over with loudmouth commentary, it seemed astonishing but true that out of everyone there, Greer was the one to interest faith. Greer, a freshman then at this undistinguished school in southern Connecticut, was selectively and furiously shy. She could give answers easily but rarely opinions. Which makes no sense, because I am stuffed with opinions. I am a piñata of opinions she'd said to Corey during one of their nightly Skype sessions, since college had separated them. She'd always been a tireless student and a constant reader, but she found it impossible to speak in the wild and free ways that other people did. For most of her life, it hadn't mattered, but now it did. So what was it about her that Faith Frank recognized and liked? Maybe Greer thought it was the possibility of boldness lightly suggested in the streak of electric blue that zagged across one side of her otherwise ordinary furniture-brown hair. But plenty of college girls had hair partially dipped the colors of frozen and spun treats found at county fairs. Maybe it was just that Faith, at 63 a person of influence and a certain level of fame, who had been traveling the country for decades speaking ardently about women's lives, felt sorry for 18-year-old Greer, who was hot-faced and inarticulate that night. Or maybe Faith was automatically generous and attentive around young people who were uncomfortable in the world. Greer didn't really know why Faith took an interest, but what she knew for sure eventually was that meeting Faith Frank was the thrilling beginning of everything. It would be a very long time before the unspeakable end.
1: So in the abstract you just read there, Greer Kadetsky meets Faith Frank. I want to ask you first about their names, because Greer seems like a nod to Jermaine Greer, while the alliteration of Faith Frank, I've heard you say, rolls nicely into famous feminist. So were those two things quite deliberate? You know, I don't think that the Greer
0: part was so deliberate, because I was asked that question early on by an interviewer in the States, and I first said, no, it wasn't conscious. And then later I thought about it and I thought, well... You must have been thinking about it somewhat. I think things kind of are in the air around us and they seem like a good name. It's it's certainly a nod to a feminist I knew about when I was young, but not any more particularly than that. And it honestly
1: was maybe a little subconscious. And meeting Faith changes the course of Greer's life. Among the dedications in the female persuasion is the late, great Nora Ephron, whose first film as a director was an adaptation of your book, This Is Your Life. Did meeting and working with her have a similar impact on you? It really had a big impact
0: on me. I was somebody who really admired Nora Ephron's work when she decided to direct the film based on my book and it was going to be the first film she'd ever directed and that was tremendously exciting for me because I'd read her for years and seen films uh, whose screenplays she'd written and we became friends and I think she's one of those people who um, is a real enthusiast and if she likes your work or likes you uh, and turns her attention to you there you know it, it could be exciting and you want to be better and you want to Uh, do work that you like. And she took such great pleasure in her own work. We played Scrabble together. She was a big word person. Of course, Uh, I really, I really loved her. And she was somebody I always wanted to send my writing to uh, right after it came out.
1: So she was she was really a mentor to you. I
0: think so. Definitely. I didn't use that term. I don't think either of us would use that term. Mm. She was uh, very, very encouraging to me. And she was to a number of younger women, too. She took them out to lunch after she died. There were so many stories that were incredibly moving about people who said that Nora had just called them up because she liked something they'd written and asked them about themselves and took them out to lunch. Uh, We had a lot of lunches. We had a lot of deep conversations about writing and all kinds of things. She was full of advice and she was full of really interesting insights about the world. She was someone who took great pleasure in so many things. So I think she really was a mentor to me.
1: And her her book Heartburn has had such an impact on so many women. It's it's the favorite book of of lots of women I know. It's such a funny and
0: angry book all in one. You know, it really, really is. And um, when I think about uh, sections in my novel that have a kind of humor in them, I think about Nora um, sort of really encouraging the notion that being funny could be being serious, that they aren't separate, that you don't have to have gravitas you know in one part of your life and humor in another that the meat and potatoes can be together on the plate really
1: and in the book you um you really get into the conflicts and tensions between older and younger feminists today do do you see these conflicts and tensions as detrimental to the feminist movement
0: i think what's so important is that everyone sort of define what the world they want to live in is and their own kind of feminism sometimes that is going to clash sometimes it isn't as a novelist for me, what was interesting was to kind of stand on a rock, not taking a side. I, I wouldn't really do that. But just sort of looking and again and again saying, what is it like? What is it like to be a young woman coming up in the world? And what is it like to be someone who has fought certain battles uh, you know, earlier in her life and to see what's happening now? So I think I'm just kind of again and again looking at the way people are together. And writing an intergenerational book allows me to sort of have these people in conversation
1: and i've 've seen you praised for how accurately you portray the emotions and experiences of a young woman making her way through college and navigating today 's world. How do you do that as a writer? How do you get into that mindset of somebody who's completely different to you where you are in the world at the moment?
0: One of the things about writing about being young is that first of all, we all were, but second of all, I think that being young is a time of firsts. It's a time when things are really happening for the first time. And as a result, there's a sort of sense of excitement and exuberance. And I think that if you capture that, you are doing something that everyone can sort of feel deeply. So I, I, another thing that I do, too, is is talk to people. You know, you talk to younger people. You talk to older people. You sort of hear, what is it like for them? What is it like? What was it like for a woman I know who's... 23 now when she was at college. What was it like for her on campus? Um, and, and just sort of hearing different people's stories and not necessarily taking any of them, but listening a lot and then filtering it.
1: I've heard you uh, mentioned before as well about your, your own mother and uh, the influence she had on your own feminism. Can you tell me a little bit about her and uh, the impact that uh, um, she had on, on your outlook on life?
0: My mother is 88 years old. Her name is Hilma Wallitzer, and she's a novelist and a wonderful, wonderful writer. And she was someone who was not encouraged by her parents, and they didn't think it was important for girls to go and get a higher education. So she only took classes here and there after high school, but never went to university. Um, But she wanted to be a writer. And when I was growing up, she was a housewife. And she became a novelist. And you would think from the reviews that were written that she had sort of done a kind of superhero transformation. Headlines in in reviews were housewife turns novelist. And she's <laughs> joked about it was as if she went into a phone booth and changed into a superhero costume. really, as if a woman who'd been at home couldn't become a writer. But one of the things that I saw was. Well, in addition to some of the sexism that I, that I witnessed, I also saw the way she was encouraged and helped by other women. So I think I got a real sense of feminism in the home, without a doubt.
1: A lot of reviewers have talked about uh, how your book seems to have hit on a zeitgeist, zeitgeist rather in the Me Too movement because early in the book, Greer has an unpleasant encounter with a man and it chimes with the experiences of the women that have been highlighted by Me Too. Was it sort of weird that the book was so timely or do you feel like there was kind of something in the ether while you were writing it? Because obviously you couldn't have written, started writing it afterwards because that would have been superhuman. <laughs>
0: I think, yeah, well, you know, me and my mother, (laughs) were these (laughs) the superheroes. I think if something was in the ether, it's been in the ether my whole writing life, because I have been writing about gender relations and power for a long time. I have this novel called The Wife uh, that I wrote in 2003. That's really about a a sort of it's a power dynamic between a big male novelist and his wife um, coming out as a film this summer with Glenn Close and Jonathan. Very good yeah and but also uh in in many of my books really i've been thinking about these things so i don't think they're anything new i think they've been in the ether for all of us for a very very long time it is weird definitely that in a kind of game of musical chairs that when my book was near coming out suddenly the me too movement became this big thing i actually was asked by an interviewer did you start writing it after the Me Too movement? I was like, yeah, I, I would have had to have kind of gotten a number of people. They all could have called themselves Meg Wallet, or so we yeah. all would have in the room. I would have said, go, and everybody could have taken a different chapter. Because, no, they're old questions, questions around female power, around misogyny, around making meaning in the world, all of this. But, yeah, it's a weird moment. I mean, one good thing about it in terms of writing fiction is that uh, – there is a there is a particular place, a starting place for some people to think about the book. But of course, it's a novel. And it, you know, it's about these characters. And it's not meant to track just this moment in time.
1: Mm. And I've heard you say as well, with regards to Me Too and Time's Up movements, that, and you just mentioned it there, like these are old ideas, but you've said that we're treating them in a different way. How is, how so? How are, how are we treating them differently?
0: Well, we're taking them more seriously without a kind of jokey quality. And I think that one other way is that we're speaking about them more openly and in a really articulate way and people are engaging. So it's no longer going to feel, I hope, well, I mean, in the best of all possible worlds, the notion of being able to talk about something that you feel is wrong, that's happened to you, is going to be uh, acceptable. You know, you can talk about You can talk about experience and you can compare experiences with other people something happens to greer early in the novel when she is groped by a frat brother at a party and one of the things that i wanted to do with that scene was i wanted it to be a moment where she feels something's happened to me and i'm not really sure if i'm allowed to talk about it you know am i making too big a deal out of it should i sort of suck it up she doesn't really know her face goes hot And I was thinking about, that wasn't my experience in life, but I was thinking about being very young, and maybe someone looks at you a certain way, or says something. And there's that shock of recognition of, oh, wait a minute, is this about being female in the world? Can I complain? You know, am I making too big a deal out of it? Wait, did something happen to me? Not really understanding it. And I think that that moment is something that Many people I know have experience, but the idea that you can talk about what's happened to you is tremendously important. Mm,
1: and speaking about groping, uh, did you have to do much rewriting after the election of Trump? You refer to it in the book as the big terribleness
0: Yeah, uh, so I finished the novel before the election, and I fully expected, while this book wasn't meant to be a fiction that was, you know, tracking everything in real time, I expected that the book would come out and we would have our first woman president of our country. Mm. Um, And to that extent, maybe there would be a quality of, you know, an encomium to female power, there would be some of that. And then, as you may have heard, that didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, as you've heard tell. I I called my editor and I said, look, I would love it if there's time for me to go back in and play with the ending a little bit. And she said, yes, there is. And the reason I did that is that I felt in a way that what where the book had ended before, there was a sense that I seem to be suggesting that sometimes things are a little worse for women. Sometimes they're a little better, but you keep going. But in fact, what happens if it's like one of those magic tricks where the whole tablecloth is pulled out, you know, from under the dishes? Uh, What happens then if everything has shifted and maybe the ways that we've understood things to be for women isn't going to be like that? And I went back in and I pushed my characters into the future, into what you say is the big terribleness. And one thing that I started realizing as I was writing it, because things were moving so fast, and I think they still are really moving fast, I have no idea where they're going. I don't think anyone really, really knows. But I wanted my characters to acknowledge this disturbing moment. But then also I wanted to kind of give a nod to this sort of nascent sense of women flooding politics and maybe changes in the air. But this moving, whirling, dark and uncertain time, definitely, and how it was creating new changes
1: you wrote an essay for the new york times i think it was about mm-hmm. how men and women are treated in publishing that kind of the idea that the fact that uh women's books are marketed to women men's books are marketed to everybody the idea that men don't read women writers speaking of sort of change do you think that is starting to change at all in the industry is is the industry the publishing industry becoming a bit more woke I
0: started the piece with an anecdote uh, from a a party that I'd gone to and I met a man there and he heard I was a writer and he said, you know, what do you write about? And I I named the things that I wrote about marriage and family and children and sex and gender. And he, his eyes sort of seemed to roll up in his head and he sort of said, Oh, you should talk to my wife. She'll be interested in that as if these were not things that, um, that men could be interested in. And, And I was really struck by that. And, um, I think that It's hard to track how things have changed. In some ways, I think they have. I mean, I'm heartened by the fact that uh, Jesmyn Ward has won the National Book Award in the U.S. twice. But um, do you know the organization Vida uh, that tracks? uh, Yes. Yeah, so they track the numbers of men and women appearing in literary publications. And some of it is definitely moving. I think, again, back to the notion of, of being able to speak about what you feel. It's not just about personal experience. It's also things like this, saying, you know what, this publication only published, uh, you know, 20 women and 200 men. What does that mean? What are we saying? And maybe they're not even aware of it. And making people aware of it says, you know, we want all voices. We want to hear all voices. So I think that it's still a problem. It's still frustrating that we're still having these conversations so long after, um, certainly after second wave feminism, when so many things seemed that they were going to be vanquished and changed forever, but it remains important to have them. And in some senses, things are moving and changing. Definitely.
1: Okay. Uh, You mentioned earlier that the wife is coming out as a film with starring Glenn Close. And I read that Nicole Kidman's production company is going to adapt the female persuasion for a feature length film and that she is going to star in it. Is that true?
0: Yes. She's going to play Faith Frank and co-produce the film. I'm very, very excited about this. Um, I just I saw Big Little Lies and you know, and many of her films and, and work and I think she's extraordinary. She's a subtle actress, and I think that Faith Frank is an interesting part because she's idealized by the young Greer Kadetsky. But she's a person. You know, there are there are idealized figures, but they're actually people who live lives, and I think that she's someone who's gonna give it a kind of complexity that the character really, really requires. And are you gonna be
1: involved in the film itself?
0: Well, I'll be a kind of fan girl, hovering on the set, and I'll have to kind of take me to craft services and feed me a little bit. But no, I don't. I'm not going to write the screenplay. Okay. I, no, I've written the book. I think for me, how, you know, I've had a few films I, I've made of of books that I've written, and I think that it's like the icing on the cake. It's really enjoyable, and if you if you sell the book to people whose work you admire. They can do a variation on the theme or they can hue very close to what you did, but it's for them and their creative vision, you know, to go and you have to trust that. And I, I love good movies and, and good television and, and really wonderful acting. And I think I think this will make a really good film. So I'm excited.
1: I think so, too. And I, I can't remember the, I wish I could remember the name of the TV show that Nicole Kidman is in with Elizabeth Moss. Oh, it's a New Zealand one, but she plays an older feminist in it. And when I read that, I just thought, "Ooh, I could see her as Faith Frank straight away oh, already." So oh, it looks really good. Yeah,
0: I, she's just really—I love how she stretches herself and does very, very different kinds of roles, um, the way all the you know best actors do. Uh, so I, you know, it, it's just great to sort of see your characters who you carry around in your head kind of made manifest in this way. I mean, I always feel like um, characters in a novel are kind of like the people you might see in the background of a reality TV show who don't want their faces shown, so their faces are kind of blurry. Uh, they're blurry to me, and then, but I know them very, very deeply as people. But it's not necessary to know their facial features exactly. Mm-hmm. I know them inexactly. I know Faith and Greer. I know how they look very deeply, and yet that's very different from the way we would know a person was a friend. Mm.
1: One final question before I let you go. You're on Twitter, and social media means that your readers can get in touch pretty easily with you if they want to. What kinds of things do people get in touch with you about?
0: You know, my relationship to social media is that I I'm somebody who uh, loves to rewrite, and I know that Twitter doesn't really allow for that. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of you know somebody who could sort of sit there for five hours writing a good sentence on twitter whereas so many people just sort of fire them off i think it's because of my training and my years of being a fiction writer that i'm kind of i want to get that exactly right people write to you and they want to know why did you kill a character uh that's one that you hear a lot uh if you look at your if you look at yourself on amazon or you know on a book site uh sometimes people will say something like you know This book arrived late, one star. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not my fault. That's not my fault. Um, But I think more often than not, if people reach out to writers, it is to say something Uh, appreciative. And I really do. I love that. It's very, one thing is that you're a writer, you're alone in a room. I always feel that when I get invited out anywhere um, to give a speech or to give a signing, it's kind of like being a dog taken out for a ride in the car. It's tremendously exciting. And to have the connection with readers who say something very specific, like, oh, that line spoke to me, that means the world to you.
1: Meg Wallitzer, it's been a pleasure speaking to you for the Women's Podcast. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: And that's it for today. Thanks to our guest, Meg Wallitzer, and a reminder that her book is called The Female Persuasion, and it is out now. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at ITWomensPodcast, and you can email us too on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. Today's podcast was produced by myself, Jennifer Ryan, and by Roisin Ingle, with Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon on sound. Cathy Sheridan will be back on Thursday, and until then, thanks for listening.